from the Mercy One Studio. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. It's time to hear from the top Christian litigators in the nation who have come forward to tell us the truth and help us defend our faith. Hear ye, hear ye. All rise. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano is in session. And good Thursday morning from the Mercy One Studios in West Des Moines. I'm Deacon Mike Mano here along with Gina No. How are you, Gina? Good morning, Deacon Mike. I'm doing well, yes. Exploding toothpaste oh, yeah. this morning. <laughs> I almost missed the show this morning. I went to brush my teeth, and I'm never doing that again for you guys. Because <laughs> I grabbed a new tube of toothpaste, and it blew up from the bottom end. And it wasn't just toothpaste. It was gooey, <laughs> slimy. It was quite the mess. I almost didn't make it here. Well, I'm glad you Cleaning did. Cleaning that up. I'm yes. glad you did. I'm glad you did. Yes. Hey, I wanted to ask you about the, um, if you'd heard about Notre Dame, you know, we often talk about how, what poor choices they make sometimes mm-hmm. in um, expressing, bringing leaders to their community for our students on that Catholic campus to um, learn from. Uh, but uh, apparently there was some backlash. They were planning on having President Biden um, at- attend as a commencement speaker this last week. Um, 4,400 campus students signed a petition saying, no way, his abortion views are not something uh, this community agrees with, and he would be a poor example of leadership at our Well, I'm glad the students are taking that position. That, right, yeah, and I know that we have on the show really pointed out some discrepancies we've between We've criticized the, Notre Dame right. before for having Obama and for doing some other things. Other things, mm-hmm. yeah, that are definite direct um, conflict with uh, the tenets of the Catholic Church, so and, I was glad to see that. And it's interesting that this is coming up just before the spring assembly of the USCCB, which we're going to be talking to Dr. Matthew Bunsen about, uh, and how the bishops are going to handle this issue, you know, because this is a kind of thorny issue. Well, that's issue. why I bring it up, because right? I know we're going to discuss it today kind of in a different realm, mm-hmm. but um, it's nice to see our um, Catholic schools taking a stand, protecting the faith and sharing the truth. It's nice to know that maybe Notre Dame is shaking some of its wokeness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes, or at least the the students are speaking out, and that says a lot for our uh, up-and-coming leaders in this country. Yeah, that gives me some faith. That we're looking here at students that are making these decisions and signing these petitions because they are recognizing a truth that a lot of times the people that run Notre Dame and a number of other people that help run the church are missing or they're trying to find compromise with, right. or they're or in the name trying of to avoid. Being, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it was really, you know, his 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 uh, the church's teachings on abortion, marriage, sex, and gender. Um, are Biden's views are hostile to those views. So I and, sometimes and I heard that the. I mean, if you want to look it up, I I haven't listened to the uh, entire thing yet. I've heard clips, but. Um, the gentleman who gave the commencement speech was a graduate who apparently has uh, donated many scholarships to students at the university and mm-hmm. gave a, just a phenomenal commencement address about faith, family, and um, leadership. So 
I'm hoping to listen to that entire commencement Commencement speech. addresses must be very difficult to give because the people that are there that are in the audience are so busy with so many other things and celebrations at the same time that you wonder how much they remember of what this man said or woman or said woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the next day. But I, I don't remember my, I don't even know who gave the commencement speech at my graduation. <laughs> so all I, that, that's terrible. All I remember is I was sitting there at Creighton knowing that I was graduating by the skin of my teeth <laughs> and that I was lowering the standards for everybody <laughs> as I was going to walk across that stage <laughs> in a few right. minutes. Yeah. Well, you've, You've grown in in your knowledge and education because you are full of information and history that is helpful to well, all of us. Thank you, because a lot of people say I'm full of something yeah, else. Well, so. <laughs> you have a little bit of that. I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll agree with those other people. But your homilies and your um, writings for The Wanderer are just amazing pieces of information well, that help you. us all grow. So well, thank you. I certainly appreciate it. You might that. have had a slow start, but you really came, came around. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's, it's what been done for me by the radio station well <laughs> i think there's a little here the holy spirit involved maybe <laughs> maybe so maybe so uh real quick before we get to our break uh zachary king last week at uh, saint augustine's who, who was the former satanist who spoke. yes um your take on that yes i went to see him um speak uh, i was surprised at the attendance that was uh, that church i haven't seen that church that packed since uh 2019, I think. Uh, There were a lot of people there. That's because we mentioned it on the radio, yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe. There was good promotion. And uh, who who isn't intrigued by the power of Satan? You know, um, I I think if somebody came to speak about their encounter with Christ, it would be twice the the size of uh, the attendance. But he was... uh, I know all that he talked about, I already knew. Mm -hmm. It was just grim to hear him talk about how Satan has such a hold on so much of our society yeah. from his personal experience. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the intrigue, I mean, he did a very good job of talking about how easy it is to be tricked by Satan, mm-hmm. his lies and his uh, deceit um, and betrayal then in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and now the, his witness is just beautiful. And I pray for Zachary because uh, Satan doesn't want him to share this, and no, it's, it's it's obvious that he's tortured by continuing to share his witness yeah, and his yeah. revelations from Christ. It was very interesting. It's on the uh, Facebook um, for uh, St. Augustine. Oh, a replay? It, it's up there, and we put it on our blog, Faith on Trial Radio. Uh, the problem with it, if you go there, is whoever started the camera started about 20 minutes early. So you got to slide <laughs> oh, over about 20 okay. minutes and you get the beginning of it. It's about a two-hour program, but it would certainly be interesting to listen to. Yeah. Uh, now, do you have a prayer to open us up with? I do. Speaking of Satan, let's pray for peace today from uh, Pope Benedict. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God of peace, bring your peace to our violent world. Peace in the hearts of all men and women and peace among the nations of this earth. Turn to your way of love those whose hearts and minds are consumed with hatred. Strengthen us in hope and give us the wisdom and courage to work tirelessly for a world where true peace and love reign among nations and in the hearts of all. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Gina. We're going to take a few minutes break right now. When we come back, we're going to have Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Executive Editor of EWTN News with us. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. 
Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the Morning is provided by Blessman International. Blessman International partners with volunteers and donors to provide sustainable programs for children in South Africa by leading 12-day all-inclusive experiences, sharing the heart of Christ with vulnerable children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at blessmaninternational.org. Thank you to Blessman International for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family-owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full-service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. Forms, manuals, brochures, letterhead, envelopes, business cards, custom invitations, design, and bindery. Big Red Q Quick Print, located across from Merle Hay Mall. Online at BigRedQ-DeMoines.com. Big Red Q Quick Print. We make printing easy. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Lee and Eddie in the Morning provided by Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Bell Construction. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and the Uncommon Good provided by Mercy College of Health Sciences, where you can chart your course for more. This is Bo Bonner. And I'm Dr. Bud Marr from the Uncommon Good. Mercy College provides unparalleled clinical rotations, hands-on learning, accelerated education, and flexible schedules. Since 1899, Mercy College has been transforming students into healthcare professionals. Guided by Catholic values, our faculty put classroom theory into practice. Students are prepared for roles in service and leadership throughout their own careers. Learn more at mchs.edu. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Dowling Catholic Sports is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic. With two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling graduate, and Dr. Craig Harper, the Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at 60th and Ashworth in West Des Moines, 515-440-4610, or online, ashworthvision.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. And we're back. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Uh, we're joined now by Dr. Matthew Bunsen, who's executive editor of EWTN News. Dr. Bunsen, uh, thank you for joining us again today. Good morning. It's very good to be with you. And, um, and it's always a pleasure to have you. You've been here several times, and I hope we've always treated you well. <laughs> we must have, always. or you wouldn't come back, right? <laughs> of course. This uh, is a good time to have you on, I think, because as you are aware, um, this June, uh, in about two and a half weeks or so, uh, the Spring Assembly of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops is meeting. And I think there are some things that uh, they're going to be talking about, or maybe not talking about that uh, you might be aware of, and I thought we'd start with uh, the pending question of the day. Uh, how are they going to react uh, to the issue of uh, communion for pro-abortion politicians? 
Yes, well, this is a question that the, the bishops have been grappling with uh, for some decades, actually. We can go all the way back to 1984, and uh, the candidacy of Geraldine Ferraro as uh, vice president of the United States, remember, with Walter Mondale. Right. And uh, she was uh, a very public Catholic and also a very public pro-abortion politician and Catholic. And so there was uproar then. Uh, we've been looking at the candidates like Mario Cuomo, who was the governor of New York, John Kerry, of course, who ran in 2004 for president on the Democratic ticket. Uh, and back in 2004, that was significant because that really became a major controversy uh, in which even uh, then Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger uh, weighed in uh, with a memo. So this is nothing especially new. What is new, however, uh, is the fact that we do have uh, the second self-professed Catholic sitting as president in the White House. And this has raised, really, since the candidacy of Joe Biden became clear that he was going to be the Democratic nominee, that the question of his pro-abortion stand, but also his positions on a number of other issues, including transgenderism, uh, religious liberty issues, uh, really is a source of grave concern to a number of bishops. And how we deal with it brings us to this present moment. Now, it seems to me that uh, recently there have been a couple of uh, American cardinals that have raised some questions about whether this should come up. Uh, there's been a clarification from the Vatican, which I'm not sure clarifies very much, but maybe you have a better read on that than I do. Well, the uh, the individuals that you're talking about uh, in particular are uh, Cardinal Blaise Supich of Chicago, uh, Cardinal Joseph Tobin of Newark, uh, and uh, a number of other bishops uh, who are leery of having a conversation at the bishops' conference uh, on this very topic. Uh, there has been a lot of back and forth, and in the face of that, very public, as I said, in the face of that, uh, the prefect of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, Cardinal Luis Ladaria, sent a, a letter uh, some weeks ago uh, in which he asked the bishops to come together to try to find unanimity uh, on this issue uh, at a time when, as you note, uh, the, the bishops seem to be poised to have a very thorough discussion, potentially even issue a statement on what they refer to as Eucharistic coherence. And the letter from Cardinal Adaria has been interpreted by some as sort of a putting a break on any discussions, but uh, a careful reading of that letter I would argue, and, and I think uh, many, many bishops across the United States uh, have the same position, uh, is providing a framework or a guideline for having that discussion, not telling them to refrain from having it. So here we are with uh, that letter in hand, and now a new letter coming out from 67 bishops, including uh, several cardinals, including the two I just mentioned, as well as Cardinal Wilton Gregory of Washington, D.C., asking that nothing be done on this issue until the bishops at least meet in November. So this is going to be a, a very interesting uh, couple of weeks as the bishops grapple with this. And unfortunately, we are now in a position where the exact opposite of what Cardinal Ladaria was hoping would happen is unfolding. Hmm. Yeah. Now, Archbishop Gomez, president? Yes. Um, what is his position? It seems to me he's one of the ones that was trying to raise the issue. Well, Archbishop Gomez, as the president of the USCCB, um, 
as well as, of course, the Archbishop of Los Angeles. But in his role as president, has an obligation. Uh, it's twofold. One is to listen to his brother bishops, to try to bring that unity among the bishops, to deal with the most important crises of our time. The other is, as he has done uh, really from the time of the election of Joe Biden last November, and especially after his inauguration, is to find ways to work with this administration, uh, as the bishops do with any administration. Uh, but this has a unique set of circumstances, as he himself noted, uh, that we have a sitting president who is Catholic, but again, who holds positions that are diametrically and very publicly opposed to the teachings of the Church. So his responsibility, and I think he's very conscious of it, and is trying to work fairly and listening to his brother bishops on this, but they need to do something uh, in terms of helping Catholics to understand the position of the Church on her teachings, uh, and also for the very soul of Joe Biden. And the soul of all Catholics. Uh, that's, isn't that the bottom line here? I'm often frustrated by the um, looking from the outside in. It seems like the leadership of the bishops is looking to have a cordial relationship with the United States government, m- more importantly, than setting an example for the flock. Is am I well, right wrong in uh, that observation? No. Well, I think um, every administration is going to have areas uh, of agreement and disagreement with the bishops. Um, Donald Trump, who I think we can safely say uh, was the most committed pro-life president we've had in many, many decades, certainly possibly somewhat argue in American history, issued policies and other things that uh, were very favorable to the pro-life cause and, and that the many uh, of those positions the bishops supported. At the same time, President Trump had policies that uh, from a Catholic standpoint, we would disagree with. Sure. Uh, for example, the death penalty and, and immigration. Immigration, of course, is a prudential judgment, as is the death penalty. Abortion is, as the bishops themselves said, the preeminent issue of our time. Now, I want to so, stop you right there, because I think sure. we want to explain something to our listeners. You're talking about prudential policy uh, yeah. versus, uh, I guess, the uh, non-negotiables. Just, Absolutely. Yeah, just give us the definition or the difference between them so our listeners understand what that means when we say a prudential issue. Well, the Church has always been completely clear that there are certain things that we call intrinsically evil, that is, that they are wrong and evil under every circumstance and and every occasion. There are other issues. Uh, The death penalty is is one of those. Uh, Immigration is one. Discussions about economic policy, where they are subject to what are called prudential judgments. In other words, um, there are ways that you can have disagreements as you try to craft policies uh, that might work. The goal, of course, is to develop policies that uh, promote the dignity of the human person, uh, that support the common good, all of those things. But they don't rise to the same level of uh, significance from a moral standpoint as an issue such as abortion or euthanasia, uh, because they are intrinsically evil, and again, they're, they're wrong under every circumstance. So there is, I think, a clear distinction that needs to be made, that uh, certainly the bishops can and have had policy disagreements uh, with administrations. But on the issue of abortion, the bishops are called to be absolutely clear. 
And we have the added wrinkle uh, of having the second Catholic president uh, who, while saying that he is privately opposed to abortion, nevertheless is doing everything he can to expand abortion in the United States. Uh, And this is creating what many of the bishops are calling an an important moment for us to stress Eucharistic coherence. Uh, In other words, uh, as uh, Bishop Paprocki just wrote, that Eucharistic coherence has really taken on a heightened urgency with the election of Joe Biden. Um, A a Catholic who promotes the evils of abortion, same-sex marriage, and transgenderism. Now, I don't know if you're a betting man or not, but uh, looking ahead, how do, you th- how do you think they're going to resolve this in a couple of weeks? Well, one of the um, things that has been lost in this discussion is exactly what was being planned. Uh, the bishops were planning not some sort of a, a statement condemning Joe Biden or, in, or Catholic politicians, but rather helping Catholics to have a deeper understanding of the importance of the Eucharist, of the Eucharist as the Second Vatican mm-hmm. Council, of the source and summit of our life, and that you have to have that Eucharistic coherence in your life. So, And I think we as, talked about this last time you were on our program, the survey that came out <laughs> just before Yes, we Christmas. did, exactly. Yes. Uh, so, that so many Catholics think, don't understand that concept. That's precisely right. And uh, one of the aspects of that, about Eucharistic coherence, is that Catholics need to be conscious that you cannot receive Holy Communion, uh, and at the same time, uh, with deeds and words, uh, as Bishop Paprakius just wrote, uh, to go against the commandments, particularly when abortion, euthanasia, and other grave crimes against life and the family are being encouraged. So it's a question of reverence of the Eucharist, but it's also an, a, an important awareness that Catholics need to have of their worthiness to receive the Eucharist. And having said all of that, what I think has been lost, as I was saying, and much is that the bishops are trying to take steps toward crafting a document. So I don't think the plan was ever really to issue some sort of a statement, uh, certainly not in light of Cardinal Adaria's letter and request. So now the question is going to be how far they can take this conversation. My yes would be that uh, this is something that uh, will have its preliminary discussion uh, at the bishop's spring meeting or in a couple of weeks in june Uh, and then we will see further developments of this when the bishops presumably come together in person in november uh, in baltimore right this is a a virtual meeting as i understand the spring one coming up that's correct it's similar to the uh, the meeting that they had last november uh, when all of it was virtual. Now, one of the arguments that uh, some of the bishops have made in that letter, the 67 bishops in the, in the letter asking for a postponement, is that a virtual setting like this is not necessarily the best uh, environment for having this type of a discussion. Others would argue, well, we had a very successful meeting last November, and we were able to grapple with a lot of important topics and and potentially controversial topics um, relating to things like Joe Biden and others, uh, and the sex abuse crisis and things. So it is technically, technologically possible to have this. And then, of course, the bishops have the option of what are usually referred to as their closed sessions, uh, things that will not be broadcast uh, or streamed uh, in, in 
real life or virtually. Yeah, because I believe the EWTN has carried all of those uh, live as they happened. Yes, we have. Uh, And uh, EWTN News will be covering uh, all of these events uh, very, very closely. Oh, uh, I imagine you will, yes. All of our (laughs) platforms, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Getting away from the question of abortion, what else do you see coming up that the uh, bishops are going to be uh, uh, working on uh, this spring? Well, I think uh, the, the big question that we've all been living with now for almost a year and a half is COVID. The impact of the COVID pandemic on the life of the Church in the United States, the economic impact that it has had, the pastoral and spiritual impact that it has had on the faithful. I think the bishops uh, are very much aware of the problems that the pandemic has created. Uh, I think they're going to have an assessment and a discussion about how all of that went. I think the religious liberty questions have to be raised and discussed, uh, that there were genuine threats uh, to religious liberty in the face of how a number of local and state governments dealt with the pandemic, and I think uh, how some of the bishops themselves dealt with the question of simply closing down masses. Uh, there's a sense I have among some bishops that uh, they, they allowed it to go too far and for too long uh, before actually standing and asking the question, why is it possible to have tattoo parlors, strip clubs, and, and liquor stores open uh, as essential services, but churches were not? Uh, so there was that serious set of questions, I think, uh, that emerged out of the pandemic uh, that we're still grappling with from a religious freedom side. I have one last question. Go ahead. I, the, the EW10 and your um, organization has done such a great job with um, surveying and getting um, a, kind of a, a landscape of Catholics across the United States. Have there been any recent surveys, or do you plan any new ones in the future? Uh, well, I can say that uh, since the election, we've uh, sort of been tracking how things are going, uh, but I can say that uh, look forward to additional polling by EWTN News uh, in the future. I think it's important for us to always have a sense of where Catholics are and where the nation is. I, I think so, too. I think it's helpful to our, our shepherds, anyway. I think it is, too. Uh, Dr. Bunsen, thank you again for joining us. We certainly appreciate your time uh, and uh, what you do for the Catholic Church and EWTN. It's a privilege to be with you. Let's keep praying for our bishops uh, and Pope Francis, and I'm happy to be on any time you'd like. Thank you, and we will have you back again. Thank you very much, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Executive Editor of EWTN News, and we will be right back after these messages. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the Morning is provided by Blessman International. Blessman International partners with volunteers and donors to provide sustainable programs for children in South Africa by leading a 12-day all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with vulnerable children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at blessmaninternational.org. That's blessmaninternational.org. Thank you, Blessman International, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. 
Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and the Uncommon Good provided by Mercy College of Health Sciences, where you can chart your course for more. This is Bo Bonner. And I'm Dr. Bud Marr from the Uncommon Good. Mercy College provides unparalleled clinical rotations, hands-on learning, accelerated education, and flexible schedules. Since 1899, Mercy College has been transforming students into healthcare professionals. Guided by Catholic values, our faculty put classroom theory into practice. Students are prepared for roles in service and leadership throughout their own careers. Learn more at mchs.edu. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Lee and Eddie in the Morning provided by Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Bell Construction. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. Forms, manuals, brochures, letterhead, envelopes, business cards, custom invitations, design, and bindery. Big Red Q Quick Print, located across from Merle Hay Mall. Online at bigredq des Moines.com. Big Red Q Quick Print. We make printing easy. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Catholic Women Now provided in part by Permar Security, providing security solutions for homes and businesses since 1953. Permar Security is a Catholic-owned family business supplying security systems, access control systems, video surveillance, fire alarm systems, and video doorbells. All alarm systems are monitored out of their monitoring center located in the state of Iowa. Permar Security, 515-244-5660, permarsecurity.com. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. Scattered showers and thunderstorms are possible for the afternoon with low pressure and a cold front moving through. It'll be breezy or high around 75. Scattered showers this evening and then cloudy overnight, mid-40s. Mostly cloudy tomorrow and cooler with a high of 55. The weather is brought to you by Divine Treasures, a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. And we're back. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And joining us right now is Denise Harley, who is Senior Counsel with the Alliance Defending Freedom, where she is also a member of their Center for Life. Denise, good morning. Good morning. Uh, wanted to talk to you today about this case that you've been working on, I think Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health uh, Organization, which has to do with that new Mississippi law uh, that is limiting abortions after 15 weeks. And I think, uh, as I uh, read the press releases and the news stories, the Supreme Court has just agreed to hear that case. That's right. This is a big development. It's going to be probably one of the biggest abortion cases we've seen the Supreme Court consider in uh, a couple decades, at least. Um, And, you know, it really calls into question the confusing jurisprudence that has developed after Roe v. Wade. Um, it has been a moving target. It has led to a lot of death, and there is no clear legal test. Okay, can you give us um, a little bit of the background of this case, where it started, where it came from, who's appealing what, and how it got to the Supreme Court? Absolutely. So Mississippi has adopted a law that protects 
unborn children and their mothers from late-term abortions. And so it prohibits abortions after 15 weeks. Um, this is in line with what most Americans support, really. Because the language of Roe v. Wade and, and a case that follows called Planned Parenthood v. Casey suggests that states can't restrict abortion before viability, um, that's what's led to litigation over this law. Because 15 weeks, you know, although it is solidly into the second trimester, at this point in our science and medicine is before the viability point. Okay. And so the question... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, I'm... So the question teed up for the Supreme Court is whether states may restrict abortion before viability. And that's a very important question because there are many Americans and many states that are eager to protect life early on. Okay, so the the legal process of getting it to the Supreme Court, what happened initially and how did it get up there? Yeah, this is a good example of what happens with a, a lot of pro-life laws that are passed. Um, so Mississippi passed this law, and almost immediately it was struck down by the federal district court, the trial court. Um, and the only thing the trial court looked at was whether the 15-week mark is before the point of viability. Okay. And, and that was it. And he said, oh, you obviously lose. He didn't consider all of the evidence that, at that point, a baby um, has its own brain and spinal cord, has a beating heart, it can pick up and move its arms and legs and fingers, and it can taste what its mom eats and sense pain. Uh, these are really critical things that a court should be considering. Uh, unfortunately, then on appeal, the Fifth Circuit Federal Court of Appeals upheld that decision again, saying, we're bound by Roe v. Wade. You know, there's really nothing we can do. Our hands are tied unless you, Supreme Court, fix this mess. And so now, thankfully, we're going to hopefully get some clarity, and we're hopeful for a good ruling from the Supreme Court. Okay, so now the court has agreed to hear this case. It's uh, granted your petition for certiorari. And uh, when... Do you think it's going to be heard? Um, oh, go ahead. Start there. What are we looking mm-hmm. like? You're obviously, you're going through a briefing schedule right now. That's right. So everyone can just uh, take a deep breath and sit back. It's going to be a process. I don't think the oral arguments will be until the first half of November. Uh, well, mm-hmm. The brief will be filed late summer into the early fall. Mississippi will have an opportunity to make its arguments in full again and the other side will oppose, Mississippi will get a reply, the case will be heard, and then the Supreme Court uh, has really almost no deadline. Now they traditionally decide every case by the end of that term, by the last day in June. So my guess is because it is going to be a very high-profile, potential, difficult case, we'll see a decision in June of 2022. Yeah, I think you're right there, that it'll probably come on the last day or the next to last day of the term, since everybody's going to be looking out for it. May as well keep the suspense up, right? Um, <laughs> what are you expecting? Now, you, we've got a conservative majority, uh, at least a titular majority, on the Supreme Court right now. What are we looking at as far as the possibility of uh, the court looking at that viability thing and striking it? Yeah, so I think we have a lot of reasons for optimism. One reason is that even the less conservative Supreme Court have said 
that states have legitimate interest in protecting unborn life from the beginning of pregnancy and in protecting maternal health and in protecting integrity of the medical profession. The Supreme Court previously has also upheld pre-viability bans in the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act. <laughs> so that was that applied throughout pregnancy, and the Supreme Court said, you know what, yes, you can, it, because of the dignity of human humanity, uh, you can ban that sort of gruesome method. And so I think the Supreme Court has the tools to do what it needs to do. Um, if we see, when I see something incremental, because I think reading the Chief Justice, he prefers to sort of uphold stability as much as he can and, and the institution itself. So I could see something moderate. But if this law is going to be upheld, which I believe it will be, I, I believe that's why it's just the case, uh, Roe is not going to stand intact. Something is going to happen with that viability rule, and that's a fantastic thing for protecting human life in America. Well, we have a lot of... Uh cases uh, and laws across the country dealing with the heartbeat, what they call heartbeat legislation, uh, that says that bans abortions after a heartbeat can be detected. Those have all been struck down, as I'm aware of. Um, what would a positive ruling for you and for the state of Mississippi in this particular case do to the heart, how the courts would look at heartbeat legislation? That's a great point. Every time one of these life-protecting laws comes up, the federal courts, um, even the originalists, who don't believe there is anything in the Constitution that allows the right to abortion or guarantees the right to abortion, have said, our hands are tied. The Supreme Court has spoken on this. We simply cannot hold it, no matter how good and right we think it is um, as a constitutional question. And so all that to say... All of these cases, all of these laws are going to be looking to the way the Supreme Court writes its opinion. And that's what's going to be so important, is the way the decision is written. Is the the court going to pick a number? Is the court going to pick a number like 15 weeks? Is the court going to say from the beginning of pregnancy? That's what we don't know. And so leading up to the, the oral arguments on this, it's going to be very important that the court have a lot of resources in front of it in terms of fetal development, embryology, you know, sonogram science, all the things we know now that we didn't know in 1973 when Roe v. Wade was decided. Now, one other thing before, Gina has some questions here, but one other thing before uh, she takes over, uh, and this is something I'm always concerned about in these cases that are going up at appeal. What does the record show thus far? In other words, the, the... uh, uh, medical and the scientific uh, uh, expertise about viability and what it means and all of this stuff. How has that mm-hmm. been preserved in the record for you to argue on as we get up to the Supreme Court? The Mississippi legislature did a fantastic job, and Mississippi did a, a wonderful job in the federal courts below doing exactly that. So. If you get a chance to read their cert petition, if you haven't already, in fact, I would even commend it to your audience, there are pages and pages on the details in the record from scientific experts about uh, fetal medicine and the fact that the viability line has moved up and up and up and all the things we know now that, again, weren't considered by the Supreme Court several decades ago. Okay, very good, because I'm always a little concerned about that as, as we move a case forward that we're leaving something behind, and it's not going to end up in the appeals court. Gina, you had a question. Well, I, I, 
I'm very hopeful for this particular case to be settled because even this week, was it this week or last week? I can't remember, but the Congress brought um, Secretary Becerra from the uh, Health and Human Services Secretary uh, up to Congress to question him. And one of the things he stated verbally was there is no law banning partial birth abortion. Now, he either didn't know that or he chose not to admit that it existed. So I think this would really give some guidance to um, to him and his and his department. The other thing that's, um, now I don't have a law background, but I'm hearing a lot of banter that this law would repeal Roe and Casey. Um, I can't find evidence of, I, I know that there's parts of it that may be affected by a positive ruling in this case, but what are the... Um, what are the points in Casey and, and uh, Roe that would be affected by um, an affirmative uh, ruling by the Supreme Court on this case? And Denise? Yeah, well, don't get me started on Secretary Becerra, who I think is... No, I, and, and I, I, I bet my tongue why she mentioned his name, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you understand uh, my point. Uh, right, but he yeah. needs to know. that. I mean, he. I don't know how clearly a secretary needs to understand the laws that he's uh, having to rule on. Yeah. Absolutely, and no healthcare background at all from him, other than you know promoting the abortion industry. But on your second question, I think you ask a very legally astute question, and the answer is a little bit. It depends on again the way the court writes its opinion. But the Mississippi law could absolutely be upheld and say states you can um, you can restrict late term abortion. You can protect the unborn and, and moms after a certain point in pregnancy, and yet. The, the fundamental idea that there is some right to abortion secretly voting in words that aren't in the Constitution could remain for now. That would be one potential outcome. So, you know, a, a very sweeping outcome, which I think we have reason to think might not happen, it would be concluded saying there's no right to abortion in, in the Constitution. Constitution doesn't say anything one way or the other. But actually, all that would do is kick it back to the states, and states can have abortions for all nine months of pregnancy if they want, and other states can completely protect life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, any of those outcomes are possible. And our president has talked about codifying Roe, you know, to avoid this this whole decision. Um, would that have any bearing on an outcome in this case? I don't think it'll have a bearing on the case, in part because it's such. It's such nonsensical puffery. I mean, we can't do that without Congress. And there's no way he has to convert in Congress to do that. Um, you know, the majority of Americans don't want Roe codified. So uh, I, I think that's him pandering to his base. Okay. He hasn't taken any action on that front, and I'm quite satisfied that won't happen. As, as I look at the history of the court, when um, the court uh, overrules an earlier precedent, uh, they very often, uh, at least most of the time that I'm aware of, don't just overrule the precedent before. They chip away at it. And it's the mm-hmm. exceptions then that becomes the new rule. So if do you see this as one of those cases that could really start that chipping away at Roe versus Wade? I do. And I think it's, it's almost the, the perfect case in the sense that it's not a total ban on abortion, um, but it, it has to call into question the viability rule, and the viability rule is what we've been operating under for 50 years now. 
And so, obviously, 15 weeks is before viability. The viability rule can't stand. But that doesn't mean the line's going to move all the way up so that row no longer exists. Um, I think shipping away, though, is a fantastic step. And because it is such a contentious issue in America, in America I can see Chief Justice Roberts wanting to do something incremental. And probably Justice Kavanaugh as well is more, more in a moderate type position on this. Um, so I think your instincts are right. Yeah. So we're looking now at, we're in the briefing stage, and we're looking at maybe oral argument sometime in November. Yes, hopefully in person. Um, it would be really exciting to see the court get back to its normal operations, yeah. because there's something so uh, just wonderful about that institution. If you've ever had the chance to see it or take a tour, it's no, they like won't allow else. They won't allow me in. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so uh, we, and then we'll have a a long wait after that. But, you know, in the meantime, I think uh, believers, people of faith, Christians, you need to be speaking about this and, um, you know, and speaking about the sanctity of life and really take this opportunity to explain and educate ourselves on why late-term abortion is so, so... Horrific. Destructive, horrific. Brutal, yes. In a way that, in a way that's winsome and graceful, that other people can understand how completely reasonable and common sense it is to limit abortion after four months into pregnancy. Yeah. Uh, if we want to find out more about uh, uh, this case and about what you uh, are doing, uh, how do we do that? Uh, website, uh, whatever. Yes, you can go to adflegal.org. So that stands for Alliance Defending Freedom. ADFlegal.org. There you can read about this and all of the other cases we're participating in. You can sign up for our newsletter to get sort of the highlights on the breaking cases. We we work hard on life, family, marriage, religious liberty, and free speech. And we would love for your supporters to, I mean, your listeners to follow along and um, join us, link arms in this battle. And and as I usually mention, uh, ADF operates on a pro, pro bono basis. So if somebody has uh, is on that website and they have some spare change, they can make a tax-deductible donation. That's right. We don't charge any of our clients, and it's just our honor and privilege to have ministry friends who allow us to keep our doors open and keep the doors open for the gospel. Well, we want to thank you very much for joining us today, Denise Harley, who is a senior counsel with ADF. Uh, we appreciate your time, and uh, God bless you and your work. We hope you're successful. We'll keep in touch. Thank you. Shout out to my family in Hancock County. Oh, all right. Very good. All right. Thank <laughs> yes, you. Yes, we do, Denise. Good job. <laughs> good job. <laughs> Have a great day. Thank you. you. Too. And we will be right back after these messages. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Lee and Eddie in the Morning provided by Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Bell Construction. 
Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Dowling Catholic Sports is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic. With two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling graduate, and Dr. Craig Harper, the Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at 60th and Ashworth in West Des Moines. 515-440-4610 or online, ashworthvision.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Catholic Women Now provided in part by Permar Security, providing security solutions for homes and businesses since 1953. Permar Security is a Catholic-owned family business supplying security systems, access control systems, video surveillance, fire alarm systems, and video doorbells. All alarm systems are monitored out of their monitoring center located in the state of Iowa. Permar Security, 515-244-5660, permarsecurity.com. Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years' experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Carbaca, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the morning is provided by Five Sons Naturescapes. Five Sons Naturescapes is a Catholic veteran-owned family company providing premium outdoor landscaping, clean up and restore outdoor living space with retaining walls, privacy fencing, pergolas, paver sidewalks, and patios. Issues with soil settling and water around the foundation and yard? Five Sons Naturescapes can grade and install drainage tile to help. Five Sons Naturescapes online at fivesonsnaturescapes.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio provided by Savage Power. Join us on Thursday, June 3rd for our 10th annual gala benefiting InterVisions Healthcare. We're thrilled to welcome Benjamin Watson, former NFL tight end and Super Bowl champ, who has an inspiring message about the importance of being the one. Ben, along with his wife and seven children, are great supporters of pregnancy clinics like InterVisions. As a medical nonprofit, all proceeds from the gala support our life-affirming services. We promise it'll be an evening that you'll long remember. For more information, visit IVHcare.org. And thanks for supporting the women and babies of InterVisions Healthcare. And welcome back to Listen to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And I ought to mention here that you can stay connected to Iowa Catholic Radio through our newsletter, which you can sign up for at iowacatholicradio.com. Well, another showdown. Uh, yeah. Yes, our shows, Deacon Mike, send me home with quite a bit of homework. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Dr. Matthew you, you Bunsen. You come here with a lot I, of homework. I've, I've done my too. homework yeah. before I come here. I try to anyway. And then, you know, Dr. Bunsen helped us understand what's coming up. Uh, with the bishops, you know, I thought I knew what was going on there, and really, it's it's stay tuned and keep your eye on the ball and listen and learn as as the we get to the spring meeting of the bishops, and then mm-hmm. following the meeting, because I imagine they'll um, following the meeting um, issue some sort of statement for for all of us to understand the results of their consensus. Yeah, my guess is that there'll probably be some private. Um, conferencing going on, and they will come up with some type of a statement. I don't anticipate being able to watch their debate uh, as you, you have in past years. You know, been able to turn on DWTN and you can see the debate going on and listen to what the bishops are saying. But because it is uh, uh, be done 
uh, online, it's going to be much more difficult to do that in the first place. I think some of those bishops have the correct idea that this is a difficult form to handle this in where we're all spread, you know, there are how many bishops are there in the United States? You know, a couple hundred, maybe 300 of them that are all now, you know, online and, uh, and, exactly. and that, that makes it very and, difficult. You know, those conferences, I'm sure there's a lot of side discussions amongst members uh, and maybe now they text each other in yeah, a group text as, as, during the meetings. Who as knows? I remember conventions or uh, as I remember conventions and things that I've gone to, there's a lot of discussion in the bar after hours <laughs> that, you know, makes its way into committee right. work and things like that. It's all those uh, informal meetings that uh, where people are nose to nose with one another and they're looking at one another and and, uh, and they're discussing things very frankly, uh, maybe things that they wouldn't necessarily say in the floor of the assembly. But I can tell you, I'm not going to stand up and say this in front of all my other, all the other bishops, uh, but let's get some feedback on this. Right. And so I think we lose that with them not meeting together. Sure. Okay? And so I would anticipate that there would be some type of statement that they would issue about the... Uh, the Eucharist and about its prominent place in the church and what it means to receive the Eucharist. Uh, that obviously is is going to fly over the heads of a lot of the people that that may be aimed at. But uh, I think uh, the election of Joe Biden, uh, who claims to be a devout Catholic, certainly has put the onus back on the bishops to say something. And I think they may take it incrementally. You know, uh, we've been talking about chipping away at things, you know, with the last guest, with, with um, uh, Denise. Uh, I think they may just start to chip away a little bit. And, again, I think Dr. Bunsen may be right. You m- may have to wait till the fall assembly before we get any real movement there uh, or any strong statement like a lot of pro-lifers would like to hear. Well, true. And um, I, I think the public portion of the conference on the reverence of the Eucharist will be very educational for all Catholics. Mm -hmm. um, I'm looking forward to hearing what they share with us in our own lives and how important it is to be as holy as possible in all that we do mm-hmm. every day. Be a, a, a tough time to be a bishop these days, uh, especially in the United States right now with Joe Biden as president. Uh, it's always been a tough time to be a bishop, I guess, but now there's more focus on a lot of things, and you see a lot of arguments going back and forth between the bishops, you know, wow. and, um, and and sometimes they're priests. Oh. And, it, yeah, it's it's one of these We talk things about the slow boil of, you know, the frog in the water yeah, that's right. analogy, and I think that the church has kind of just been thrown in the water without knowing that they were complicit with some of the um, the, the descriptions. I think there's a lot of Catholics who, uh, like Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi, and we talked at the break about um, Secretary Becerra, uh, that believe if they attend church on Sunday and do treat people nicely, that that's, that's all you need. The, right, yeah, the religiosity yeah. of it is not necessary, and um, that's a very poor example for Catholics and their catechisms. So I'm glad that the the bishops need to take that back Mm -hmm. from uh, the public eye and say this is. I think Archbishop Gomez is trying to tug a little bit to get that back in the bishop's court. He sounds like one of the good guys, really. So that's good. All right. And I also think that uh, Denise made some good uh, uh, points when she talked about the viability issue. You know, I had seen before we went on the air with her some. Uh, questions about, you know, is this really the right thing to do? This is uh, not necessarily a good law. 
uh, you know, doesn't doesn't really protect that many. But I understand the point now on viability. Once you can you can punch that viability thing. Once you can poke a hole through that, then you can legislate a lot more against abortion and against the uh, uh, expansion of abortion. Well, exactly. And I'm glad she made the point that 50 years ago, it was difficult to, uh, the science wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And the Supreme Court didn't have the um, availability of the ultrasound and the life-affirming science of the baby, whether it's in the womb or outside of the womb, that they're they're very much human. Right. And I'm glad they loaded it. Uh, their case up with all that scientific evidence so that it can uh, it, it's part of the record now that goes before the Supreme This will be Court. a good case to follow and I want to encourage our listeners to be patient and in this time between the ruling in the next year it would be a great time to pray mm-hmm. for the Supreme Court justices, for the attorneys um, and for life. Hit your beads. In Hit the rosary, beads. our That's Mother right. Mary is very involved in this That's issue. Right. Alright, well, <clears throat> it's just about time for us to go. Uh, So let's close with our prayer to St. Michael, and especially after listening to Zachary King last week. uh, Often as you can say this prayer, use it. Very important. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Amen. All right, for Gene and myself, thank you for listening. Join us again next week for another edition of Faith on Trial. And until then, have a blessed and peaceful week. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano. Faith on Trial, Thursdays at 10 a.m. on Iowa Catholic Radio, iowacatholicradio.com, and the Iowa Catholic Radio app. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients.